I heard you were crazy. I didn't think you were stupid. Bruce Wayne. You peaked. I won't have vigilantism in my town. You'll be rid of me. As soon as I find the Joker. That may not be soon enough. Hello, and welcome to the Original Remake Podcast, where we discuss and compare an original film and its remake. Hello, and welcome to the Original Remake Podcast, where we discuss and compare an original film and its remake. Ultimately, we seek answers to three questions. Does the remake do justice to the original? And if you just watch the remake, do you get a good sense of why the original was successful or not successful, and thus remade? But most of all, which movie to watch, the original or the remake? All right, so uh, Derek is back not to talk about a horror film. Uh, I guess depending on your views on Zack Snyder's latest masterpiece, you basically are here to defend this. <laughs> Man, I, that's, a, that's a mountain to climb then if that's the case. Although I was going to cut you off when you said not to talk about horror when you were making a, a nod at how poorly this film is being received. And I was going to jump in and say, yeah, I think you mean an American masterpiece. Um, probably somewhere in the middle between the two. I think, I'm, I think I'm closer to my, <laughs> my guesswork <laughs> there. You're uh, not alone. Yeah, I'm, I'm not alone. I would love to be contrarian about this. Uh, somewhat like I was with Fantastic Four where I thought it was the first two thirds were pretty interesting and then falls apart. I, uh, yeah, I, th- I think this is just a huge misstep all the way through. And it was interesting because when I did it for uh, War Machine versus Warhorse, uh, Chris Maynard, he was probably more like you. He was somewhere more in the middle. He didn't necessarily hate it, but he didn't really think it was that great. Sure. Um, but he, he brought up, and I've heard other people in other podcasts, uh, like on Pop Culture Case Study, that the animated series, be it the Justice League or you know the uh, Batman animated series or the films, that's where you should go, I guess, if you're feeling this is a missed opportunity, like I do. It's a, a missed chance to see these these two icons come together for the first time on film. So I watched it. I watched the the Dark Knight Returns, and I I'd always uh, stayed away from it. Um, I, don't, I, I know. I you, when you had asked me if I had seen it, um, I laughed because. I, I'm pretty sure when it first came out, I was like, Michael, you have to see this. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll get around to it. So when you asked me, I was like, we've, t- we've discussed this at least two or three times. In my defense, I remember being somewhat put out that it was being treated like a, you know the Harry Potter series or Twilight where they were breaking it up into two different parts to, to sell. And sure. so I always told myself, whenever they put out a collected edition, I'll get to it. Well, when I had that conversation with Chris on the other podcast – I realized that I had bought the collected edition. It had come out and it was sitting on my shelf, still in shrink wrap. The man that owns way too many movies. <laughs> Wait, do I own that? Look on the shelf. Yep, I bought that at some point. In my own Walmart? <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. Let me go down up in the other aisle. Let me go there. And you know what? I I didn't have the strong reaction to it that I was hoping to have. I liked it, but I, I felt I'm going to call out the other Zack Snyder uh, previous a comp book adaptation of Watchmen. Yeah. It wasn't to me as offensive as that, as far as like sort of tonally, but it actually made me feel worse about Snyder's Batman versus Superman. Cause I was like, I would really have loved to have seen this in live action and not this cheap animation. Now, I mean, no offense to the animators, but this is not feature film presentation. So they're, they're doing it for the home video market. It's more yep. like watching the TV series. 
and the, it felt small given the uh, I don't know the the story. Like this was the, one of the first ones that turned me on to comics. My uncle gave me a trade paperback copy of this, and I, I was disappointed all over again. So so thank you, Derek and Chris Maynard. <laughs> But so I should have just undersold it in the same way that Batman vs Superman is being undersold. Well, okay, explain to me, you know, because you said you were a huge fan of this this animated version of it. Do you does it work in the best way as far as adapting Frank Miller's work? Which you know, it, I, it's silly anyway. It's it's a hard it's it's a hard premise to, to put on a, screen. I, mean, I think it is a very hard premise, uh, just from the simple aspect of its length. Uh, where if you try to condense the entirety of The Dark Knight Returns into an hour and a half. I mean, I, I would personally feel like there was a lot left out. So and they don't. I, as far as I can remember, they no. pretty much tell it as it was. They they do. They, they they tell it how it was. And I guess for me, comparatively to some of the other uh, DC animated films that have uh, came out, uh, such as like Year One, uh, which Year One just just feels like Psycho 98. I mean, it's, it's basically shot for shot. Uh, as, as the same as the uh, the, the the comic, and can I, so can I interrupt here? Yeah. I've not seen it, so I'm going to throw it out to you. How does it compare to what Nolan did, where he stole a number of elements in Batman Begins from Year One? Like it's that's not a direct adaptation, but it feels like he took some of the better parts of that and used it, it for exactly. His, okay, and I think that that works better, at least in this sense, uh, because honestly, when I when I was watching Year One, I, I just felt like, well, I could just I could honestly just read the comic and it would suffice for me. Um, they didn't expand the world uh, at, at all. Um, and you could actually make that same knock, I guess, with Dark Knight Returns. Uh, they don't necessarily expand the world. If anything, uh, it's, it might lose some of its scope overall. Um, but for me, I think it worked. Uh, when you when you look at the, this material, uh, especially the, the Frank Miller stuff, where we're taking a tonally uh, much darker approach to Batman, uh, you, you're stuck if you're still going to release an animated film because of the uh, the assumption, at least, that this is going to be marketed towards children. This is not marketed towards children. Uh, you don't think and- the Joker love tunnel sequence is not marketed towards children? <laughs> No, and I loved it for that very reason. I said, this is not something, you know, my, my nephew was over uh, not too long after I had, had bought it. And um, he's a he's a huge, you know, little superhero fan, as most children are. Um, and he was even asking me if he could borrow it. And he, he's about, uh, he was probably about five or six at the time. Um, and I said, no, this is, this is not appropriate for you. Um, now, with that being said, could they have... And I don't know if this is maybe one of your uh, negative uh, takeaways from it. Would you have preferred it had they went tonally darker than what they did go? Do you think that – go ahead. Well, with the Snyder film, no. This the Batman versus Superman. And I think you know when we're talking about the tone and trying to establish darkness, like I think DC, as far as with their live-action universe – yeah. is uh, as I think as you said a try hard you've used that before <laughs> like like I, I've specifically pointed out like the Amy Adams bathtub sequence which is not like there's hardcore nudity anyway but in a superhero Purposes, film though. well when I look around and I see eight-year-olds and ten-year-olds it feels very much like you know this is a dialogue sequence between a married couple that could have embraced you know on the couch or whatever it feels like they're saying we are adult marvel is not so here is the top of amy adams breasts in the bathtub like that's that's what we're trying to establish the only here. person in the theater complaining 
Well, you know, Zack Snyder, can, he, can, he can make beautiful images. I'm not going to knock him there. <laughs> but I, I have more of an issue with that because, you know, at least when you're adapting a specific work with The Dark Knight Returns, it has a beginning, middle, and end. And there's a lot of baggage you have to bring to it. Like, you have to have some idea of who Superman is in this in this world. It's not like they have some big origin story with him, which is to the benefit of this as an individual, individual film. But it's able – it can be as dark as it wants because, as you said, you can just choose not to hand it over to your nephew. Batman v Superman – is going to kick off the DC universe proper where we're going to have the flash. We're going to have Aquaman with different directors. They might not all have that same tone. I hope to God they don't have the same tone as this. I don't think they will after this. I don't think you can, but that's, that's, I think that's my issue is because you introduce such a world of darkness and then you're going to try to try to bring yourself up from that after, after this. And well, it's mainly you scope that. Well, it's mainly like, okay, someone like Luther here. Mm -hmm. I think they get Luther wrong really above maybe even Batman or Superman because they're just using him as a tool for a bigger, badder villain who is basically calling, you know, he's calling Hellfire and Brimstone. And I felt like that's where you run into issues where you're, this is not a story that ends here. It continues on. Like, if you want to do a Luther story, like, uh, there was a Brian Azzarello's from miniseries where it was like, from Luther's perspective. I think that's fine, but I, I really take issue where this is going to be the DCU live action verse and you're getting the characters wrong in service to other characters. It's like a domino effect. You know, with man of steel, we had Superman contribute to the deaths of so many people. So then to like clean up for that, it's like DC ha- kind of has to start us off with Batman being like a rage freak because they're trying to clean up another mess. Well, that, that contributes to further messes down the line because I don't feel like I'm getting the Batman, the iconic version that I think of. And so I, I much prefer just from a storytelling perspective, these little self-contained stories like dark Knight returns, as opposed to something that's going to launch a series of films. All right. Well, and I agree with you. It, it, in the, the sense that with DC, even prior, if we're looking at the domino effect, even prior to overcorrecting with man of steel, I think they've made their initial uh, attempt at overcorrecting after they saw what, the MCU was doing. And so it was like, okay, we, we have this uh, material that we can rival them with. Um, and they're somewhat lighthearted in nature and fluffy at the end of the day. Um, so let's just go as dark as possible <laughs> in a way. And so from, from the very beginning, from the basic frameworks, uh, I think their identity has been based on overcorrecting like a car, like they are fishtailing uh, all the way through their universe because there's such a backlash at the end of Man of Steel. Uh, so let's spend half of our movie explaining uh, things about, uh, well, this fight is taking place in Batman vs. Superman. <laughs> there will not be any civilians around, we promise. All the I mean, commuters have gone home for the weekend. <laughs> Nobody Thank lives God, there. It's a Friday at 5. <laughs> I think that's, and you know, I'm one of the people who was complaining about all the carnage in Man of Steel because, and, and one of the issues I had with it, you know, I know Man of Steel has fans, very strange people that, to me, like, to me, the people who really liked Man of Steel were people who were not fans of Superman, at least from what I remember reading was, finally, Superman is a badass, and yeah, I, I think, I think if you're a fan of Superman, 
you never were a fan of him because he was riding a motorcycle and had like a you know a chain that he he carried around to beat people. He's not the Punisher, so he may have had a leather jacket on. And they just assumed it was Superboy <laughs> or something. Yeah, the bad. death of Superman. You know, various incarnations there. So I, I'm one of those people who was complaining about that, but it really sticks out now where it's like they're the film breaks the fourth wall and is like talking specifically to me and be like, it's okay. We're not killing any more people. I promise. <laughs> like, please, please like this movie, please. We have seven more of these things coming out. Uh, I, I like because in the dark Knight returns, I kind of wondered because, you know, Frank Miller, I think has gotten, and I think most people's estimation progressively worse or progressively crazier. Like with his yeah. sort of libertarianism, uh, a very racist individual, not the most open man. Um, I wondered, okay, is this going to hold up? Because I read this when I was a teenager, and teenager, I was I was ready for for Batman to you know, <laughs> take charge. I, it's like, yeah, I, I agreed with that. Like, because so, I think you're when you're younger, you're you're looking for those hard stances. Like you you yeah. want that line in the sand. And as an adult, it, it does start to come off as stupid. But I do think that, you know, the story did age pretty well. Like, I, I don't know. I didn't go back and reread it in graphic novel form. But at least I think it's pretty accurate from from memory. I don't think it ages that poorly. Maybe the the topless Nazi woman uh, with the swastikas on her on her breasts <laughs> is kind of, especially because it's so brief in, the, in this film that it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, I did feel like they dialed down maybe the uh, the talking heads a little bit. Because in the comic, it was almost like every few pages. Every page, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think you would have to for, for the most part because I don't want every single scene intersplit between uh, seeing Two-Face and then a talking head or a psychologist or whatever. That would probably, you know, you're already looking at a runtime of, what, close to three hours if you combine the two films together, something like that. But I did um, think the pacing was perfectly fine. I didn't feel yeah. it. I felt like, yeah, I, like I, when I got to the end of it, I was like, oh, wow, it's almost over. Yeah, it's fine the way that it is, absolutely. So if you were to infuse it with more of that, I don't really need it. Uh, I had read the graphic novel, uh, or when it was in graphic novel form, uh, maybe six or seven years ago, something like that. So really not that long. Uh, so when I first uh, had, had seen the film, it was still somewhat fresh, and I remember you know, going to the internets and kind of looking at some additional uh, things that had been added just to the universe. And I think there may have been maybe a, just a scene or two just in the film that was, that was actually not uh, in the story itself, just to, I guess, just to bolster that world. Um, and and uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember which scenes it was, but I did appreciate that attempt, if nothing else, uh, that instead of just taking directly from your source material, uh, you at least attempted to present this um, not this version of the, the 1980s to me um, and not just give me frame for frame, kind of like with year one, as aforementioned or as I mentioned earlier. So. Well, okay, so like the talking heads are gone. And one thing, one reason I like that is because I feel like that's a joke that would no longer feel like a joke now because we live in that world. Like he was predicting, you know, Fox yeah. News, MSNBC, and all, all of that. And even in ESPN, the sports culture of just talking head shows. Uh, so, so now it would feel excessive. Like, yep, yes, we, we're aware <laughs> of that. Um, but the one thing I, I, I went back and forth on as I was watching it, and it was only when I reminded myself that, hey, this is not there was the voiceover, which is like his Batman sort of talking to himself right. and almost being his own hype man, uh, which Frank Miller uh, took carried over to Sin City, 
was like Marv and such. That when I n- remembered that it was gone, I'm like, oh, I kind of missed that. Like I, I missed that having access to Batman's thoughts there, like that, <laughs> that perspective. Sure. But when I didn't think about it, the film felt natural and fine. So to me, that was showing like, okay, they did a pretty smooth adaptation here where they just had all of that through dialogue and action and you didn't need the voiceover. Absolutely. I mean, it's, in a way, it's a testament to the fact, like you're saying, that they don't need it. Aren't there there uh, a few directors that, that kind of feel that it's just a cheap way of telling a story in a way? I don't necessarily agree with that, but uh, I do, to your point, though, agree with the idea that the story flows well and the the, <laughs> the psychological madness that exists uh, with Bruce, uh, you, you're able to kind of uh, internalize that in your own way without him saying Yes, I, you know, um, I'm still having some issues with the loss of my parents. Um, I don't, we don't have origin, uh, you know, where they where they throw that in there as they they did with Batman versus Superman for for some reason that kills me because, and I know you know without getting spoilers, even though I think at this point that's that key moment of why they have the origins been spoiled to death with all sorts yeah. of assorted memes that have propped up for uh, Dawn of Justice, but it was interesting because. It was far more subtle in the damn cartoon for the home video market. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think the the main thing you get is him. He finds finds himself back in Crime Alley when he's about yeah. to be mugged. And I thought, okay, here's the point where they're going to do a clear flashback, and they avoid it. Like they just like. And I, I thought it was like I was like, wow, that was some restraint. Like we actually have we allow these drawings to act, and you didn't allow at times Henry Cavill or Ben Affleck to do that sort of heavy lifting in live action. Right. And I feel like with live action, that should be the benefit that you can read the emotion all over their faces. And here with this, as I've said, somewhat cheap animation, uh, they just allow it to happen. I, I thought it was great. Now, Dawn of justice, I kind of, I, I don't want a voiceover. I mean, at this point I probably would just want them to try anything because <laughs> I, I wasn't a fan of it at all. So, they, so you want it recut. <laughs> I, I think, I think for clarity, and I, I felt like they had too many characters that they were trying to service where this was coming out of a, this was basically a man of steel sequel. Like I like Amy Adams a lot. So I know I'm complaining about her being nude and now I'm going to complain about her being on screen even more. I felt like her journalistic investigation into this magic bullet that Lex had somehow ensnared Superman and all this in another country was borderline incomprehensible. And I didn't really understand why it mattered. Any of it. Like I seemed like it was just there to get him into a uh, court appearance in front of some politicians yeah, yeah. to set up yeah. an explosion, which was also unnecessary uh, <laughs> in my opinion, uh, because they, they want to, I guess, present in some way a, which, who do you support? Do you support, you know, this God, this alien? Um, and I feel like they, they show you all that to, to present that narrative or do you support Batman? Well, most folks that are going out to the film already know who, who they support. So I don't need the, the politicized nature, at least to that degree. Um, you could have cut off that out. And, and, and I'm speaking from the perspective of someone that actually doesn't hate the film. Uh, but you could have cut that out. And unfortunately the Amy Adams stuff, I would have preferred uh, elements of that character to be in Man of Steel, honestly. Uh, Where she's investigating him, basically. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That, I mean, with, with a film that's, that is being marketed and is titled Batman vs. Superman, uh, you don't have, in my opinion, uh, enough time. Um, and there's not enough storytelling purpose to inject it with this, all this side bullshit uh, that we got. 
and that was one of the, the at one of the points where I think it it veered off in a mishandled direction. Um, Amy Adams pr- probably could have just been in. I hate to say this, but it is the nature of Lois Lane's character. Could have just been in harm's way one time, and I would have been fine with that. But she was in harm's way three well, on three occasions. Why not have her be the one pushing to investigate Batman? Like yeah. you, you instead have Clark Kent doing that. But we can cut out this investigation into this magic bolt in another country. Have her pushing. How come we're not covering this guy who's basically a terrorist? I mean, maybe he's. I mean, that's that's the nature of his power is that he terrorizes the criminal <laughs> element. Yeah, and I really th- I also thought it did a disservice to Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White that he's just like, nope, we don't care sports. We need more sports. I'm like, what yeah. are you talking about? There's a guy in a bat suit like hanging people up, and we've got Superman, and he's like, what's going on with the football team? Yeah, well, it actually does call into question because Lois's journalistic integrity because is is she not supposed <laughs> to be the the pillar of of that when when it comes to hard journalism? It's not based on any other merit outside of the fact that she does her damn job and she does it well. Trying to however, protect her man. <laughs> exactly. However, you have a flying bat in the city that looks to be right across. Right across like the street, the bay. <laughs> and it's like, well, I don't really care about that. I'm just invested in in my man. That's that is the that is how it's presented. So I don't care about a bullet. I don't care about her traveling to other countries. You literally have a, a man dressed as a bat that is terrorizing folks, and that is of of no consequence to you. So in a way, it's contradictory. It's a uh, it's a damn shame that, uh, and I, I know this with Dark Knight Returns, the anime version. It's a relatively recent. I think 2012. Is when yeah, it released. But it's based on a story from the mid eighties, eighty five, eighty six. Um and Frank Miller, as I've said, politically has had numerous issues, especially, you know, the way he writes women. Like, you know, it kinda goes back and forth. Like when he when he writes a woman favorably or as a hero, she's a stripper or something with a heart of gold. <laughs> or as she does with Selena Kyle, like, you know, a, a madam, a prostitute yeah. here. Except for Carrie Kelly. Car- no, okay, I was gonna say Carrie Kelly is awesome. And I'd heard Rumors you couldn't avoid, uh, you know, which character was going to appear in a cameo in Dawn of Justice. And I'd heard that Jenna Malone was supposed to be Carrie, but I think that now it's Barbara. I think it actually, I think, I think Snyder said that one deleted scene she was playing Barbara Gordon. I also, even with the deleted scenes, take issue with Dawn of Justice because I, I was actually looking forward to when I saw pictures of her, I was like, she would make an awesome Carrie Kelly. Carrie I was like, Kelly, that would yeah. be great. And if you're taking all this imagery, from the Dark Knight Returns with the suit that Affleck wears for the big fight and everything, I would have I would have loved that version of Robin because I think she's one of the things that really holds up well with Dark Knight Returns and feels like a well drawn character. Like she's there's no moment where she is weak, like yeah. she's useful and maybe too energetic. But I love the dynamic between Bruce and her as far as like she always expects that he's going to reprimand her. <laughs> but clearly he does see something in her. Like there's a great trust that he quickly develops. Yeah. And I, I really, I think that holds up well. It, I don't know if it's an unfortunate thing that it holds up so well, because it could be uh, indicative of the fact that we still have such a patriarchal society that it's like, Oh, this resonates because uh, you know, it was such a big thing in 85 to have a female Robin. And so when you go back and watch it, you're like, Oh wow, it's such a big thing to have a female Robin in 2016, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I, I think that she, in, in a lot of ways, much like she does with Bruce's 
uh, actual existence. She infuses the story with a different heart, um, I think, than than Bruce does. Uh, obviously, hope. to me, it reads as hope because yeah. it can sound very much like Gran Torino, like "Get Off My Lawn," because it's mm-hmm. from such an old Batman's perspective. And I actually think that Dawn of Justice falls into that trap with the way Ben Affleck is asked to portray it. Like he is such a grouch throughout. Like he is so disgusted with the. I world. love that. I. <laughs> I thought I would like it. And I actually, you know, if they had just done a flat out Dark Knight Returns story, I probably yeah. w- really would have liked Affleck's portrayal, even though he's, you know, probably a bit younger than what this version of the character is. But I think with Carrie and the Dark Knight Returns is you have, all, you know, the mutant gangs and Batman's retired and we kind of see it from Bruce and Commissioner Gordon's perspective. And it could start to feel very much like when we were in charge, the old white guys, things were better. And this is what happens when we let the liberals take over. We let this youth movement. And I think you have to have someone who's very young, who is shown to be someone that's good hearted, that uh, still aspires to greatness and is not just a follower. Like, you know, when she puts on the, the Robin outfit, she doesn't really take on any of the, at least from my point of view, I don't know about yours, any of the previous attributes of the other Robins at all. Like she's no. not trying to play up as you know Dick Grayson or something of that she's nature. She's not trying to play up like the you know one of the issues that always happens with the previous Robins is they they try to carve their own individualistic path separate from from Batman eventually and in in Dark Knight Returns she's a helpmate. It, well, let me rephrase that because Uh-oh. she's young. I mean, but she's a she's a helper, um, and that's the role Twitter she wants. at Day Stew. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you have complaints, she, she wants to be. Uh, the sidekick, that is the role that she, she covets and she wants to, to, to help him along the way. Um, I do agree with you from the perspective of is, it is important for her character to be there for hope because she is young. Um, she still has a, a idealistic view that Bruce and Commissioner Gordon don't have. Kind of reminds me of if you allowed the NBA to be told to to someone that didn't know anything about it, uh, if you allowed like Oscar Robinson or an older player to tell the story, they're going to have the well in my day, obviously, um, but it's not really relatable to to kids today that see Steph Curry pulling up. It's kind of that same thing. Uh, I, if I want to, a, a full perspective, I would need both. Um, and Carrie Kelly gives us the the, the idealistic reader, kind of, like you said, she gives us hope uh, that we don't, you know, that Bruce doesn't share with what we would have. So let's talk about the lack of uh, female presence in Dawn of justice. And one thing that I think is getting almost universal acclaim, which is the appearance of wonder woman. Oh yeah. Which um, I wasn't a huge fan of nor hater. I felt like there's not a, okay. I liked seeing wonder woman appear, but we see that in the trailer. It's not like you get a whole lot more of like her personality before. And she's, she's playing, she actually doesn't have anybody to play off of. Like really, it's usually her by herself, you know, staring at a laptop in a very, very subtle way to set up I don't want to talk about the laptop scene. <laughs> Clicking on the Flash logo that I assume, you know, <laughs> Luther Core has come up with, you know, on the side. Um, but I felt like that was a missed opportunity because there's the, the scene, one scene that I really liked, and we brought it up on War Machine versus Warhorse, is when there's this element of spycraft going on between Superman can hear what's going on in sure. Bruce Wayne's earpiece, Alfred, you know, directing him to uh, computers to do some hacking. And then you all, you have Wonder Woman come in the equation. And I felt like the film was about to take off there because I thought 
you know, it's just, there's just too much machismo. You got these two dudes having that sort of trailer talk about, you know, well, your paper supports Superman. Like maybe you ought to mind your own business. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't like the way he dresses. And Wonder Woman came in. If it said like that. <laughs> but Wonder Woman comes You're in. My business, son. <laughs> they just start putting each other in chokeholds and <laughs> trying to pants each other. But. <laughs> Wonder Woman comes in and I thought, okay, this is what we need. We need to, you know, let's de-escalate this, this talk a little bit and let's have a little fun with this film. And Wonder Woman is coming from an outsider's perspective, you know, given her origin story that she is sort of secluded from the ways of, of man. Like, and she would have an interesting point of view on these two dudes who are extremely powerful, just wanting to tear each other apart. And right. it would like sort of play into, I guess, you know, the views of her world but they don't ever allow that sort of access to her. And I don't know if they're trying to save all that for her origin story, but my God, it really needed it. Needed some, it needed a Carrie Kelly. It needed a lighter perspective. It needed a lighter perspective. And if you're going, and I, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but they, the great scenes with Wonder Woman, we see for the most part in the trailers. Yeah. For, for the most part. And wouldn't they have uh, played so much better if we hadn't seen them in the trailers? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. They, they would have. They, they honestly would have because uh, you, you get to a certain part of the film and you're like, oh, I won't see I won't see Wonder Woman. I've just seen Diana to this point, and I'm going to see her at this, you know, this climactic end scene. And to um, be fair, that would be the Marvel way of doing it. They would just mention yeah. her name, Diana, and you'd be like, oh, that's the Easter egg for another film. It would have been a cool way for them to separate. I just, I don't know why they didn't have confidence in Batman Superman together that they started feeling like they had to give away the goods to justice league as well. I, I'm not really, again, it could go back to that, that overcorrecting. I, I really, really think that in their mind, whether they would admit that openly or not, whether Snyder or whomever would admit it or not uh, in their mind, it was, we have to throw this one film out here and it has to kick Avengers ass. Like that was the, their thought. So we are going to make sure that everyone is aware that you will see the Flash and you will see Aquaman. In fact, we're going to give you maybe a tidbit here. <laughs> it, oh my gosh! Again, I enjoyed the film, but it's only because my ex- expectations were so low. However, when while watching it, I did have plenty of moments where where I was like, okay, that you're trying too hard. You you don't have to. Direction. You don't have to throw me this this nugget um, because I, you know I've already paid for the ticket, so you already have my money, um, and you just you're just you're putting too much too quickly into this film, um, and it really does it a, a disservice because when you think about it, just the the, the title of Batman vs Superman, you shouldn't be able to go too wrong with that, honestly. So let's get to that because that's that's going to be basically with these two specifically. Um, they they didn't redo Dark Knight, but they certainly were taking a lot from that that yeah. fight sequence in that that comic book and this animated film. I I thought it was really disappointing, and I thought maybe this is something that I don't know how much blame I can assign to Snyder. I can assign the pacing issues that it took a while to get to that point, and yeah. that by the time we got to it, I wanted these two dudes to settle down, maybe have a cup of coffee and discuss things because that that it felt. <laughs> It felt very much like this doesn't have to happen. Like the way they set it up. Whereas in the Dark Knight Returns, it very much feels like it has to happen. And I think that's the biggest thing against Dawn of Justice. Right. There is. There is an inevitability in uh, Dark Knight Returns because of the stakes. You know what's on the line. And both parties are aware, right? Um, 
you don't we can't necessarily say that may be the case in Batman versus Superman. And it is for for there to be pacing issues all over all over the place. Um, it's very rushed as far as that all of a sudden they're fighting. I, I know it takes place much later in the film, um, but it kind of goes from that preparation point to all of a sudden it's happening. And I wasn't really even aware that, that they're about to throw down. It was like all of a sudden, oh, tonight's the night. Okay. Why is tonight the night, though? And it's that seemed rather, well, convoluted. I mean, it really did. Or it felt forced as well. Um, well, didn't the, have to happen when it did. One thing, and uh, yet again, you're losing perspective. Dark Knight Returns is clearly from Batman's point of view, mm-hmm. and so we're we're meant to be on his side because we followed his story. Superman, at least in the the film version, you know, I, I made my complaints about it being divided into part one, part two. Doesn't even come into it until part two, and so it's it's just you know Batman dealing with mutants and Two Face, and I believe the first film ends with the Joker. If my Blu-ray smiling is or something like that, if it's to be believed, that's sort of where it fades to black. Um, yeah. That you know that fight with Superman, Batman is is putting on a degree of theater where he he's got a plan. He's got an out for him because he's he's taking this pill that will presumably it will it will from the outside perceived to have killed him. Like he, he will have a heart attack in this fight sequence because he knows (laughs) that he can't beat Superman. Like if, if it goes on, like, and if the only way to beat him would be to kill him would like, there's not a way he can just, you can't beat Superman in a fist fight to where he taps out. Right. (laughs) And so I I think that they do a better job in the animated film and in the graphic novel that he's even with the Joker unwilling to kill. Like he, like even when he uh, like breaks like Joker's neck, he has certainly maimed him to the point where he's not going to be like, you know, healthy or moving. And he's not going to be hooping it up with Steph Curry, as you referenced <laughs> earlier. And I'm sure the many people listening to this, how are we connecting that? Idea? <laughs> well, they're really going to be all over that reference. They probably know who Steph Curry is. But <laughs> I, I felt like. That was great because that's that's a smart way to handle it. Like I'm going to basically just embarrass you and put on a show for all of your political handlers for President Reagan that you're not as powerful as you thought. If I wanted to, I could escalate this further. Yeah. And also Superman doesn't he doesn't want to do it either. Like, you know, if he just showed up with the intent to to kill, then he could. He could just use his, you know, laser beams out of his eyes and be known that he's constantly trying to talk him down, trying to talk Batman down. They handle that much better in that one where he's like, look, I broke your ribs. Like how much, you know, please, can you just stop? Whereas in the Snyder version, of course, eventually Superman sort of loses himself to rage. Like he, he, he tries to talk in the most awkward way. Like I want to walk, I want to basically French kiss you before I would tell you that my mother's being held captive. Like just float there. He could have held him at bay (laughs) easily. It will take two seconds to say like Superman would be the worst at calling nine one one because he would never get it out of his mouth. What the problem is like, just say it, dude. Just say, look, we're being manipulated. Like you're an investigator. You, You know that Luther's got some of his hands in this. Like, like, think about it for two seconds. And that's where I think the film does a disservice to Batman and Superman as characters. Well, it's, it's a sitcom-y kind of thing when you think about it, when you, you see it, – it's it's something you'd see on CBS. A character is trying to explain themselves because <laughs> it appears that they've been caught in a pickle. But before the words can get out, they're just getting, you know, just slammed by the other person and they go silent. That's basically what we were we were kind of given. And I don't know why that 
was the well, I know why that was the approach because the entire premise of their of their forced fight was kind of stupid uh, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, it, it does do a disservice to them, but I'll, I'll be honest, I enjoyed the actual fight scene it, itself. I didn't enjoy how it ended um, at all. Um, I, I thought that was, you know, there was a lot of poor elements, and it's kind of bookended for me. The fight itself, enjoyable. Um, the the reason that they are fighting, I, I thought, was just, just jackassery all the way around, because really, if you're Superman, you could probably have avoided um, that as well quite easily. Um, and the reason that they stop, I know there's tons of memes out for, for that as well. Um I'm not going to say that that's an absolutely terrible reason, but it could have been fleshed out in a more, I guess, in a more psychological level where it really delves into just Batman's like, I I don't really know how to say it without, and I'm not going to give spoilers, but um, I think there there is a way that you could have delved into in a better way than, than what they did because it was so quick. Again, pacing. It was in five seconds like, oh, well, let's stop then. Well, I think they were... They're trying to push Batman in a direction that um, would separate him from the Nolan, you know, version of the character, or or even the Burton version, where he's not going to be someone that's just working alone. That other people and other powerful beings are not something to fear, and he is someone who's consumed by fear based on he's reacting to Man of Steel, the film. He he bought his yeah. ticket, and he did not like that Superman, and so he's <laughs> going to punch him. <laughs> but like. Yeah, I think they they want him to be the you know Justice League member, super friends. Like they want him to be able to play in the sandbox with these other characters without being this all-consuming, like driven by despair character. Because that's he's always a tough fit as far as the super group. Like you, you know, even the comic books, you, know, you kind of can go through the different ages, and you get very sort of different personality types with Batman. And I think that's fine in the comics because they're meant to exist forever. This version, I agree with you. Just like the idea is fine to set him on that path to being a true superhero, but this is a film that to me fails at every level of showing us superheroes. Like I, I don't know. Like if I was a kid, if I would look at anyone other than Wonder Woman with any degree of awe, who she does show up, she shows up to save the day, and doesn't seem to have a lot of baggage. Like the other two, <laughs> and she's been around longer than yeah, than both of them. <laughs> right? <laughs> like she sees what the right thing is to do, and like okay, even with the the hacking scene I referenced earlier, mm-hmm. like that could have set up in a stupid way a fight between Wonder Woman and Batman. But when she's caught by Bruce Wayne, she's like, you know, I need this for my own interests. But I couldn't hack into it. I, you know, I gave it back to you. That's it. Right. That's all it had to be. Like, yeah, I, I had. Reasonable. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Like a reg- like a, a regular human being would, and someone who's confident in themselves. I don't need to be aggressive about this. Like I have my own adventures, but here I'll help you as well. You've done nothing to me. Yeah. That's it. So, do you think that that potentially it suffers from trying too hard to, I guess, humanize your superheroes? Um, and, and and obviously that that's that that's kind of been the approach uh, in, in you know in comics really since the, the late seventies, but. In this approach, that might be the problem. It, it is no one is super. Well, You're not thing, even really a hero. The thing <laughs> is, they try to humanize these characters that are one note. Like this version of Batman is just consumed with rage and fear, and he's going to fix things. And Superman, 
is just sort of led around like a dog, basically. Like he's he's just reactionary. He he doesn't he he doesn't ever try to solve situations in advance. Like he is just permanently like the fireman getting the cat out of the tree. And unfortunately, in the Snyderverse, that means saving Lois, saving his mom, who's been branded a witch on her forehead. All these <laughs> Holly Hunter, who he can't save, who is just used as uh, the means of a punchline for a piss gag. Like all these like terrible things that sort of add up. I mean, I've also Luther's assistant, the silent, attractive Asian woman. That is just there to be sexy and then sent to her death. There are all these terrible things that purposeless. It, well, it makes you hate Superman because he can't protect any of these people. He just reacts to he these can, bad he things. Can protect Lois, and that's all. <laughs> well, it's because that but bathtub scene. <laughs> well, and my, I guess my issue is that, so you're saying I don't know how long this this interaction between these characters take place in in a real life kind of sphere. But let's say it's a two month span of crap between Superman and Batman. You're saying that the woman that you love, who is still the only person that you can save, and to your reactionary point, has in harm's way multiple times. <laughs> I mean like every day. Every day. I, I that that's kind of that is kind of hard to believe. Uh there there aren't very many dimensions to the characters. I, I agree with that. Um not even to Batman, who I did again enjoy. Uh there's more I guess dimensions to Alfred's character. I've heard that too. I've heard uh, I've heard people saying that his they really like this version of Alfred, and I think they're setting him up for. Um, I don't know where it originated in the comics, but that he was someone who had some sort of maybe military past or some sort of you know yeah. secret service of some things. It is just I mean it's weird to say that just because for the most part Jeremy Irons just sits in a chair. But he does sort of exude that. And I was like, that's an actor. He does something with very, very little. Very, very little. Um, but, then, I mean, at the, at the same time, you do see him, you know, kind of, he's the, the voice in the ear of Batman on missions. We've never really seen that before. Uh, he's uh, the mechanic as well, uh, as think, well as being the voice of reason. Did you find that weird, though? Because I, with this being the oldest version of Batman, it was weird to see him being handled by someone as if he was, you would think he was like the Batman year one, like 20 something who needed yeah. someone is. It, it was, it was a weird, like, it's like, well, I kind of would have liked that version with, you know, the Batman. Uh, Batman Begins. Begins yeah. Kind of. kind of. Yeah. I I enjoyed it. Just, just from, it, it reminded me and I've not, uh, I never really grew up reading a lot of blade comics, but blade kind of had like a handler, uh, in What's a way. That? Yeah, Whistler. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it kind of gave me uh, th- that kind of connection. I, I didn't mind it much because it, it wasn't as though he was necessarily giving uh, Batman advice on what to do necessarily. Um, he was he was just he was in a way the, the sidekick, and it could be a uh, reaction to loss of previous Robins potentially of, okay, well I do still need someone that can help be a, a God in a way, but uh, that won't be in danger at, at all. So maybe that, you know, their relationship to that degree was, uh, you know, hyped up, not really hyped up, but um, it was kind of grown out of loss of Robins. I don't know. Um, Cause again, uh, that's another thing that they tried to potentially add into the film uh, is is that whole miniature storyline? Too many wink winks. Um, well, so the different the difference is with uh, Dark Knight Returns. There's references to those very things, like the Robins in the past. Uh, that you know, it's not like he pulled specific issues in the comics into the Dark Knight Returns continuity. 
but I think they're just aware enough that Batman is an icon of literature and uh, of our world that's been around since, what, the late 30s, that they can reference those things without feeling like this is going to be in service to other franchises like the uh, Suicide Squad or you know their version of the Joker. And so it just feels more relaxed. It just feels like, okay, this is just, this is something that's comfortable in its own skin. And I've always felt that Zack Snyder, uh, maybe because he's operating on big budgets and franchise filmmaking, that he's always in service to another artist and never just like, just make, make your version of it. Like, you know, don't do Alan Moore's Watchmen because you're afraid the fanboys yeah. can get you, you know, don't do your version of the dark Knight returns when it's the sequel to Superman. That's the sort of, that's why you're not getting a clear dark Knight returns live action film is because it's the man of steel part two. And Superman, as I said, doesn't come into it until halfway through that story. Well, seeing a lot of folks feel as though uh, he is so heavily stylized, but he's really not. If you go with that premise, it's not so much that he's heavily stylized or heavily stylized. He just eats off of the <laughs> the material of someone else so much. Um, I, honestly, from my perspective, from I had to separate this in two ways. If I looked at this as a film to be dissected uh, because of character development storytelling that was tight and made sense, then I could not say this is a good film by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, But I I do, it's almost like how you view horror films in a lot of ways. Um, I'm able to, uh, I guess, have a much lower bar for what I'm expecting uh, because I, I know it's going to be a comic book film and they're, they're getting turned out so often um, I, my my issue is that there have been other films, uh, such as Iron Man two, that uh, you know has not been shit on nearly as much as this film. Um, but it's really in no way, at least from from my initial viewing, in no way, shape, or form, a better film, or at least a better comic book film. And you have that a lot with with some of these lesser Marvel films that are, you know, if you're looking at the Rotten Tomatoes that are 78s and 79s and 80s, um, I, I don't know if this, this movie deserves to be shit on to that degree of a, of a 30 necessarily. I, I do. Um, only in the sense that, and I hated Iron Man 2. I, I probably would find more of interest with this film than that, like as far as something that I would rewatch and dissect. Uh, I, I think the anger comes from, as I said on my other show, it just feels to me as a big missed opportunity where it's like this was going to be first chance to see this dynamic play out. And so I think it would have been if the Avengers had shit the bed, you would have seen that sort of rage, but that, you know, that worked on some level. I don't think that it's a great film, but it gave you the moments that you wanted You know, you got your Hulk moment, you got your Captain America, Thor, all that. This feels like, you know, as I said, just awkward moments, like the Lois Lane, stuff and <laughs> Lex Luthor like you have these beats that sort of drag it down and man we focus like for whatever reason he was very you know balanced in giving everyone almost the equal amount of screen time but you could have stood to lose a number of Jesse Eisenberg scenes and a number of Lois Lane scenes and that, that's that, those are two different scales because Amy Adams is not bad as Lois Lane it's just not that interesting and I think maybe if you flesh out your two key characters a little bit more that fight works better it makes a little bit more sense so do you think the because they they and, and maybe that they, they already knew that there would be a, a potential backlash. There was already discussion maybe a week or two before the film was released of the uh, extended three hour uh, version 
Um, and you know, that it was kind of more in tune with Snyder's vision and maybe the, the pacing would be better. Uh, now will you actually see that? I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I'm not going to rush out. I wouldn't buy it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would, it would be worth a look as with anything like, uh, the, the episode that was prior to this on original remake, I wasn't a participant in, uh, because I had not seen either of the films was uh, the two different versions of Superman two with two different cuts and the Donner cut and yeah, yeah the, the original Lester cut or I guess I don't know if it's considered the original I guess he he took over so the second yeah. version, um, but you know that that's probably interesting even just as a fan of film so it, it could be interesting on that level to see okay but the other hand like you know the, I know Watchmen was sort of talked about like that, like with the Blu-ray re- release, it was going to be better. And once we get the animated film in there and all this, it starts to feel very much like, as you said, they just lacked confidence in the product. Cause even before this one releases, you're already talking about another version. Like, okay, this <laughs> one's not going to be that great. But the next one, if you, if you yeah. lay down your 20 to 30 bucks on the Blu-ray, you'll get the version you want. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't have much faith. I, I've not liked a Zack Snyder film since 300. And I think that's just the right degree of, stupid and there's no baggage to it it's just dude half naked dudes hitting each other and maybe that's where he's at with me that's all he can really do <laughs> that, that that's more uh, enticing to you than amy adams in a bathtub i mean if he wants to do his version of that i guess um the ladies 300 I, I don't know if that was a sucker punch if that was his attempt at that because the way they the way they got their powers to to uh i guess happen was to strip tease in front of men so i don't know it's probably dangerous to have him do the adventures of lois lane because it would turn into something like that um but yeah just to to wrap things up you know you were a bigger fan of both of these uh i do think that if you had to choose one i would i would agree with you though that you know you got to go with dark knight returns as far as if you want to. to see batman versus superman like sort of what snyder was attempting to do i think it succeeds better on the page and in the animated film Oh, absolutely. I, I think that with The Dark Knight Returns, you don't have the issues with whether or not you feel like the characters are faithful representations. Um, I think no matter if you're talking about uh, the mutants or Commissioner Gordon or Carrie Kelly, whomever, uh, they, they feel true to who they're supposed to be. And my biggest issue, or one of my biggest issues uh, with Batman vs. Superman was that some of the characters, i.e. Lex Luthor, took me out of the film completely. And some, and just some of the other elements of the film, like pacing, took me out of the universe. And when I watch a comic book film, I don't want to be taken out of the universe for any reason uh, whatsoever. And with, with Dark Knight, I didn't, I didn't have that issue. Dark Knight Returns, I didn't have that issue. I was invested, and I think to a pretty high degree, a pretty good degree, you were too, in that yeah, you know, you're watching a three-hour film, and, and you're like, oh, we're, we're getting close to being over. That, there's some level of buy-in that exists there then. Where can people find you to complain about your uh, your somewhat positive opinions of Dawn of Justice? You can find me on uh, Twitter. It's at Daystu. Uh, please bitch at me about this because I have nothing else to do <laughs> than to talk about how great this, this film was uh, and still is and probably should break the box office <laughs> in North America. You're already pimping out the sales of the Blu-ray, so... <laughs> You're just exactly. a, co- a company I wait, man. I can't wait to see DC's next film, The Batman. <laughs> God. <laughs> Yet again, tryhards already apologizing. I saw that leaked out today or yesterday where they're like, Ben Affleck has written a script for The Batman. It's like, man, they, 
they can't even keep your eye on the ball for the movie. It's not even a week old, and we're already talking no. about stuff that's you know that's the, but that's the Marvel way too. Because when Age of Ultron came out, they were already talking about other projects when that got a negative response. So that's their way of saying, and we promise this will be better. Yep, you have just seen a commercial for something better. Didn't like this? We, we've got another. Our fall lineup will be better. Wait, wait till next season. On, on, and I know we have to close, but I do want to ask you this because I, I've kind of been a little shocked at how long the comic book, I guess you could say, the comic book genre has lasted. I mean, we're talking what ninety eight with Blade or or two thousand, you know, two with with Spider Man. Uh, here we are into twenty sixteen, and we're still here, and that shocks me. That that really does because I, I honestly thought that we were on the decline once um, you know Dark Knight Rises came out. I, I thought we were getting close to being. I would love that personally. <laughs> that was yeah. all. That was all the Batman I needed for a good while. I mean, obviously, it's a property you're going to relaunch, and you know, the Burton series has high points. Uh, you and I both are big fans of Batman Returns, um, and so I know there's always going to be a Batman, and that's fine. Uh, the fact that it's so close to Dark Knight Rises kind of bothers me. I think it'll be interesting to see when you have Robert Downey Jr. go and Chris Evans go, because I think Marvel is so invested in this is like the first time you've seen this character. DC at the very least has recycled Batman and Superman right. throughout the generations. When Robert Downey Jr. leaves Iron Man, it'll be interesting to see because the Marvel movies, they've said, this is it. This exists as one big universe. Even with our TV series, everything exists. DC is much more comfortable saying we have our TV series, we have our different movies of Batman. I think it'll hurt Marvel more when these actors age out of it, and they have because if they ever have to relaunch, that means they relaunch everything. And I, everything. I think the fans will somewhat rebel against that, or at least the casual fans will. It's kind of how they've rebelled against Spider Man, uh, right, right. or they had been rebelling against Spider Man until that the, the recent trailer, and now everyone's uh, all in again uh, for this. Should have been Miles. Version. Should have been Miles. If you're gonna give us a third version, give us a different version. But I don't really feel the need. The, feel like I need a third version when I, I saw the first while in high school. And we're, I mean, we're not talking about anything more than than you know, twelve years or something like that. And here we are again with a third. Um, and it's a little exhausting. I I will watch, of course, but uh, you know, it's a little tiresome. Give me something new. Yeah, Miles would have been great. All right, we'll end on that. I'm not gonna argue with that. So yeah. But no one's listening to us. That just that's the thing. No one's listening to the podcast and certainly no one of power who's like, Yes, <laughs> these guys said it. Miles. <laughs> Wait a minute, let's think about this for a second. <laughs> let's steal these ideas. What a rogue idea. <laughs> Diversity. It always will be a rogue idea. <laughs> And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Original Remake. Email us suggestions at originalremakepod at gmail.com. Because next time you are stuck with me and Peter talking baseball for opening day with both versions of the Bad News Bears. And just to clarify, we are skipping the sequel where they go to Japan for Richard Linklater's version. We're not complete idiots on this podcast. Well, at least Peter isn't. I'm Michael Denniston. Thanks for listening. you get him i'm not saying anything he'll hear and spoil the surprise he can hear that too how about you he's not the easiest person in the world to buy birthday presents for
Bruce, you didn't get him a gift certificate. No. Cash. <laughs>